0: Welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Feldman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. It's been about, I don't know, four years since we first presented our idea for replicating flooded forests and meadows of South America, the Agapo and the Varzea. I mean, we talked about it probably five or six years ago, but it's something that we really started working on in earnest about four years ago and really brought it out a couple of years ago. In a fun homage to the hobby, we called this whole concept the Urban Agapo. About two years ago, I went into more depth with some of the procedures and techniques that you want you want to incorporate in the executions of this, you know, idea. And about a year ago, or actually about two years ago, I started working on substrates, which are an important component of this type of habitat. And recently we came out with our first substrates that replicate the substrates you'd find in these unique habitats, the Agapo and Barzea. And uh, they've proven to be quite popular. And we're really excited to see all the neat experiments going on. But you know, that being said, with all the hobbyists jumping in on this and having fun with it and doing some sharing, I'm still getting a lot of questions. And so from time to time, it's kind of fun to, to talk about some of the ideas. So today I'm just going to touch on just a few things that we've, um, a few topics that we've, that we've had come up consistently in questions with fellow hobbyists uh, in no particular order. Here's the first question that comes up a lot. Scott, do I have to have a dry season? Quote, I say that in air quotes, dry season. Well, that's a really good question. I mean, the whole idea of this particular approach is to replicate as faithfully as possible the seasonal wet and dry cycles that occur in these habitats. It starts with a drier terrestrial environment managed as such for an extended period of time, which is gradually flooded to simulate inundation, which occurs when the rainy season commences and those rivers swell and overflow into the forest or grassland. Sure you can replicate the rep, you know the wet season only you could just go right to it and direct it. many many hobbyists and, and biotope contests and people myself we've played with that concept for years uh, you know replicating that look but if you really want to play with the function and you really want to replicate the seasonal cycle, the reasonal you know the real magic of this approach uh, is more fun to do. Uh, it's you've got to do the dry season if you want to have that fun it's great. Now think of it this way Think of it in the context context of what the aquatic environment of you know, is. In this case, it's a forest floor or a grassland, which was minding its own business, growing you know, growing grasses, growing plants, trees, etc. Leaves are falling down, you know, seed pods are falling off trees, whatever. All of a sudden, the rain comes. The the rivers overflow and it starts getting flooded. So if you develop your hardscape, God, I hate that word, but this is not an aquascaping style. It's a conceptual aquarium or a way of running an aquarium, but we'll use the aquascaping term because we need some context. So if you develop the hardscape for your tank with that in mind, it starts making more sense. And what, of course, what do you find on a forest floor or a grassland habitat, soil, leaf litter, twigs, seed pods, branches, grasses, and plants just add water, right? It's basically, that's it. Now, the other question comes up a lot is, what size aquarium do I need? Well, you can use just about any size aquarium. Uh, Most of my executions have been in the smaller tanks, between 1 and 10 U.S. gallons. Of course, you can scale this up to medium and large aquariums. The concept's the same. The execution is the same. The biggest challenge, in my opinion, is embracing the fact that you might set up a large tank. You know, you have a 50-gallon tank with just some dirt and (laughs) some soil and some plants growing. and You're like, hey, this is my aquarium. And you're going to deal with that for a few months before you start adding the water. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that in the next few months for you once my remodeling project is done on my house and I can set up a home aquarium again. I'm going to be the one that's going to struggle and show you that mentally we can tough this out for a few months, have some stuff growing, and then flood it. It's going to be different. It'll be a different approach to any tank I've ever taken. Everything will be different about it. But that's the excitement, scaling this idea up. And if we can do that mental shift and, and condition ourselves to just be patient and gut it out, and enjoy the entire process, I think you're going to find something really spectacular. The other question I get is does the, you know, does the grass and the plants that you've grown, uh, do they survive the dry season or, excuse me, the inundation? And that's a great question. Again, some do, some don't. How's that for concise? (laughs) I've played with grasses, which are immersion tolerant. I went through quite a few. One of the species that I've played with a lot is a species called paspalum repens. Um, sometimes it's known as bahia grass. Um, it's immersion tolerant, or it can could, it could stand being underwater or flooded or wet for extended periods of time, better than most types of grasses. Uh, it's not, you know, an aquatic, obviously. It's a terrestrial grass, but it can tolerate this. So in my personal experience, I've had this stuff hang on, you know, while submerged for about a month, month and a half, two months in my experience, before ultimately it kind of goes away. Now, sometimes it comes back when you you know, dry out the aquarium, when the dry season returns. However, when it doesn't survive, it does compose in this aquatic substrate, sort of enriches the uh, biological diversity by cultivating fungi and bacteria like everything else when it breaks down. And it looks kind of interesting, too. Um, that being said, you can always add more seeds in the dry season, bring it back. So, yes. Uh, then you can use many plants, which are riparian in nature, or capable of growing in immersed uh, environments, such as my favorite, acaris, which is... A great one. And there's all sorts of plants. I've done it with cryptocorene. I've done it with hydrocoddle. I've done it with, I mean, just about any plant that you can grow immersed. And there's so many in the aquarium world. I'm not a plant person, as you know, but you can simulate that. You can use grass-like plants, plants that look like grasses if you're trying to simulate that. Even Amazon Swords. So there's all kinds of things you can cheat a little bit and use true aquatics to get a kind of a grassy look. But you can play and experiment. And I'm sure more of you are more experienced with plants than I am. So play along with that stuff. It's cool. And share what you find. Now, how long does the dry season have to last? People ask me this all the time and it's it's really subjective if you want to mimic one of these habitats in the most realistic manner possible follow the exact wet and dry seasons that you'd encounter at the locale that you're inspired by so you know study the brazilian uh, environment for example or southeast asia or wherever it is that you're going to going to play with africa whatever Uh, alternatively, if you just want to just kind of do the the idea, I'd go at least two months dry to encourage a nice growth of grasses and plants prior to the inundation. Just gives it time to get that rich green look. And you can observe it, photograph it, enjoy it. And um, I used to get teased a lot by some of my friends saying, hey, you're growing a little lawn in your aquarium. Because that's what I'd be doing. (laughs) I'd be growing this little lawn for a while and watering it every day. watching my grass grow, then I'd flood it. Now, when you flood the tank, this is the other question that comes up a lot. When you flood the tank, Scott, doesn't it make a cloudy mess? Does the water quality decline really rapidly? And the answer is sure. When you add water to what's essentially a terrestrial planter box, you're going to get cloudiness from the sediments and the other materials present in the substrate. You'll have clumps of grasses and other botanical materials floating around for a while until they ultimately sink or until you take them out or whatever you want to do. It's gonna happen. Surprisingly though, in my experience, the water quality stays remarkably good for aquatic life. Yes, you'll see some nitrate and possibly some phosphate that might be a little high because you have all that plant material breaking down and so forth. And I'm not saying that it's all pristine and crystal clear. However, you let things settle out a bit before you add the fishes and test. The water clears up physically and surprisingly, uh, a large amount of life, various microorganisms like paramecium bacteria, et cetera, emerge. Curiously, I have not recorded ammonia or nitrite spikes. I haven't had the thing cycle in a way that I've conventionally seen. In fact, I've had undetectable ammonia and nitrite in my systems. It's probably because I wait a really long time after it's flooded before I start adding the fishes too. Um, That being said, you can and should test your water before adding the fishes. And you can also do what I do. I dose bacterial inoculants like our own culture, which is the purple non-sulfur bacteria. You could also use really great products like microbe lift or Hagen cycle or uh, a bunch of different ones out there. Uh, Seachem makes some good ones, bacterial additives. You can, you know, to sort of kickstart the nitrogen cycle, if that's your thing, Uh, test, tweak. It's an experiment. Another question that comes up is kind of goes with this. Should I use a filter during the wet season or wet phase? Well, you certainly can. I've gone both ways. Using a small internal filter, you know, not turned up very high because you're not want to disturb the substrate. Uh, or uh, in some instances, a sponge filter. And of course, many times I've simply played with using an airstone or not using any filter at all most of the time. I don't use any filter. I just conduct partial water exchanges like I would with any other tank. Think about this. For literally the first 50 years of the modern aquarium hobby, going all the way up until probably the 1920s or 1930s, Aquarius didn't have air pumps, or, or not as we know it, and there were no mechanical or electric air pumps and heaters and so forth. They got by with water changes, and they have these beautiful aquariums. Look up, uh, if you can, I think they call the concept today the Leiden Aquarium. It's a school of thought from Leiden, where they had said you manage an aquarium like a little ecosystem, just with water changes, soil, plants, and stuff like that. It's very basic aquarium history stuff. It's interesting, though. Kind of reminds me of this. You're just managing the tank with your skill and observation and not overstocking and so forth. And these systems are remarkably resilient. So yes, you can do that. Uh, I, you know, I do conduct the partial water exchanges like I would with any other tank, although I take a lot of care not to disturb the substrate too much because that makes a mess. When I scale up my urban agapo experiments to larger tanks, I'm talking greater than 10 gallons. Yeah, it's important to have a filter. I don't want stagnant water in my house, and I think most of you don't. Uh, and it is important. In fact, I'm going to even do, one of the ones I'm thinking of doing is it's going to be in an all-in-one aquarium. So it's going to be especially vital to get that filter system, you know, you know, up and running because it has a, a overflow wear, and so the water level needs to be high. So that'll be fun to play with. Anyway, what kind of fishes can you keep in the systems? That's another question people ask me all the time. Well, I've played with a lot of different types of fishes, particularly annual killifishes and small kerosens, like Red phantom tetras, neons, and others, little guys. Um, Guaramis, betas, even rice fish. People have told me they've been playing with guppies, all kinds of stuff. There's lots of possibilities here. And that's where you can do some homework and do some research, see what kinds of animals or fishes are found in these types of habitats or what kind of fishes you're into uh, and explore. Um, we have, uh, listen to some of the broadcasts, broadcasts, podcasts. I said broadcasts. Now it sounds sounds like we're bigger than we are, but listen to some of the podcasts that we've had where we've had Ty Streitman as guest, and I think Mike Tukernardi, we talked about this too a couple of years back. Um, but Ty brings it up a lot where he talks about the Pantanal flooded areas where the fishes, the abundance of life that comes into these, and, and you know grasslands that are now flooded. There's all kinds of fishes that are very popular in the aquarium trade that come into these systems. Is this an unorthodox way to approach a tank? Yes. Is it potentially fraught with some problems? Sure. Is it innovative? Maybe. Is it something that we can learn a lot from? Absolutely. Is it something that will test your skill, test your patience? Yes. It's different. It's not the approach that everybody thinks. It's not, and I say it for the millionth time, it's not an aquascaping technique. It's not a way of making a cool-looking tank. The cool look is a collateral of the actual function. But it's a neat way of learning about a fascinating cycle of life that occurs in the wild every year where millions and millions of fishes and other aquatic an- animals migrate into these waters, into these now flooded uh, forest floors and flooded grasslands and live out their life cycle. It's fascinating. It'll teach you some biology. It'll teach you some ecology. It'll maybe draw your attention to these amazing lives, uh, uh, you know these amazing natural habitats. And at the very least, it's gonna be a lot of fun to play with. Will you kill a few fishes in the process? Unfortunately, you might. Will you potentially have a mess on your hands? You might. That's why we encourage you to play with some small, you know, aquariums. We've come up with substrates that were designed to replicate in form and function the types of soils that you find in these habitats. Can you make your own? Absolutely. Can you experiment? Sure. It's wide open. It's a lot of fun. And I hope that you get into it. I think it would be something that would be really fun. We're going to revisit this topic again and again in the near future. And we're going to do videos because people have asked. And we'll be doing Instagram live at some point once Life settles down and it gets a little less hectic here. I'll try to do a a more fancy video for you. Um, We're excited to see this developing more, this urban agapo idea or whatever we want to call it. Just enjoy, share uh, share with me your questions, your conquests, your failures, your ideas. I think that's how we all advance as a uh, hobby. So I'm looking forward to seeing what you come up with. So stay excited, stay innovative, stay curious, stay observant, and stay patient. And always stay wet. Till next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tanner and Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. And I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of the tin.